Let's just pray, shall we, before we hear what God has got for us this morning. Father God, we praise you that you're here. We praise you that you've already been speaking to us through the songs, the words, and the words of Mike. Lord, help us just to be so open to you. So open in our hearts and minds that we hear your small voice whispering, teaching, sharing, nurturing. We want more of you this morning, Father. We know you're here. Help us to hear you. Amen. Before I start, um, a couple of things. Thank you, Mike, for that. You just don't know how much that's going to link with what I'm going to talk to, particularly that last song and what you said. So thank you. That's God, isn't it? He's so great. Um, But just before I get going, I just want to share with you that um, two uh, Saturdays ago, Keith and I traveled to Devon to go to Max's wedding. And some of you might remember Max. He was baptized here in July. He'd been part of us for three years um, when he was part of uh, Durham University. And he married Beth um, in her home church in Devon two weeks ago. And they are currently traveling around the world and hoping to end up to get a job in Australia. But they sent us a text this morning to say, they wanted to bless us a church for blessing Max, that Max had grown so much when he was with us. They wanted to bless us. So jo- um, Joseph, I've given them our uh, bank details of the church, so we will be expecting a gift from them, um, for them. So I just thought that would be really great that um, somebody who's spent that time with us and grown with us just wanted to bring blessing to us again too. So do remember them in their, your prayers as they travel around and as they seek God for what to do when they arrive in Australia. Okay, um, God's had a laugh with me this week over these, this sermon stuff. Um, when uh, Elijah put me down for this, I just said gaily, yeah, 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 and then suddenly realized that I was preaching at Stokesley Church this evening as well, where we go, and thinking, okay, yeah, got this. And then on Friday, I had a text from a girl at the other church that we go to in the evening to say, when I preach on Sunday and you're leading, and I'm thinking, no, I'm preaching. Well, I'm not. <laughs> so I have this beautiful, if anybody needs it, sermon on the church at Thyatira from Revelation, um, but and I've got to prepare something else. I'm preaching next week. Never mind. That's God in a laugh. Hands up. Has anybody here ever used a lawyer? Ooh, do you know, I was expecting not very many at all. Well, brilliant, okay. I never have. And actually, what I'm going to talk to you about today is about a lawyer. We've all seen TV programs, even so even if we haven't used a lawyer ourselves, I think we're all aware of what a lawyer does. We probably have certainly seen them on TV, Um, They wear odd-looking clothes, um, and certainly in this country they do anyway, not in other places. They wear a wig and a gown when they're in the court. 
because that gives them a sense of formality and a sense of uh, being solemn in the proceedings. The proceedings are really important. So they wear that, and they also wear it to distinguish themselves from everybody else, that they are the lawyer. They are acting for the accused. That's what their job is. They are pleading the case for the accused. They know what to say. They know how a court of law runs and operates. That's their job. Today we're beginning a new series. And we'll look at, we're looking at Jesus being in all sorts of circumstances where the outcome is transformation. And today I'm going to look at a passage in 1 John. So you might already want to get your Bibles out because it's not going to be on the screen. I'm not that organized. And or on your phone. So we're going to be looking at 1 John 1. So while I'm just rabbiting for a bit, you could get that out and have a look. So we're going to look at a passage in 1 John that actually talks about Jesus being a lawyer. The word actually used is advocate. But essentially, it's the same thing. It's the same role. A lawyer pleads for the accused in a courtroom. Jesus is here as our lawyer, our advocate, pleading before God. So, let's read that passage together. Whoops, can't lose that bit because that's my second reading. Okay, going to start at 1 John, verse 5, and I'm going to read until chapter 2, verse 6. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anybody obeys his word, 
Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Gee, some pretty powerful words in there, aren't there? Um, Fairly hard-hitting. But actually, the first question I want to ask is, who's the writer talking to who? So the writer of 1 John, in those verses, who is he talking to? And um, clearly for me, he's talking to us. He's talking to Christians. For those who already have made a commitment to him. For those who've already realized what Jesus died on the cross for and for what we've already sung about this morning. For those of us who've already believed on him. For those of us who've already changed our lives forever by making that commitment. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the church. That is, he's talking to you and me. I just want to stop there for a few moments before we go deeper into the passage, just to make a really important point. And my apologies to Elijah, who's not here anyway, he's outside, but to Josh and Paula um, and Lauren, because they would have heard some of this. And I have to say, this important point, I never grasped till the week before last when we were away at leadership conference and somebody was talking about it. And it hit me between the eyes. For all of us as Christians who've made that commitment to believe and change our lives, when we made that defining moment to say yes to Jesus, we are a new creation. That's what the passage in 1 John is indicating. We are dead to sin. It's not as though it's a part and parcel business. When we made that commitment to Jesus, that is a new nature. It is a new creation. We have a new inside. It's a bit like a transplant, if you like. The old heart, if it was a heart transplant, is gone because it wasn't fit for person any, purpose anymore. The new heart is there. And that is what God has given us. We are dead to sin. And you're probably sitting there saying, but I still sin, I still do the wrong thing. And I do too, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. But actually, the old nature, that whole bit of being the sinner rather than sin, so the sinner as a being rather than doing the sin, has gone for all of us. It is gone. That was the whole point of the cross. Jesus isn't coming back again to die again for all the other little bits of sin we are doing now. He's done it. It's gone. Every single person sitting here who believes in God and has made that commitment is dead to sin, has a new creation, a new life living in them. And that is, you know, when we're back, we talk about baptism, we are buried with Jesus, we come to life with Jesus. It's new life. And I just want to read, to support that, Romans 6, 3 to 4, which says, Or don't you know that all of us were baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. This isn't part and parcel. We don't go around with our lives thinking, I've got a little bit of Jesus inside me and a little bit of my old life, my sin. And I have to tell you, I think I probably thought that, not actually consciously, but that's probably how I lived, thinking, yeah, I just, just haven't let God, you know, in, I'm not realised that. But it's new life. It's not a part and pass. And it's not that when we die ourselves, suddenly we'll get that new life. We have it now. We don't always live as though we've got it now, but we have got it now. We have that new life. The old is gone. The nature of the sinner is gone. That old nature is gone. Jesus took it on the cross. It's a complete job, not a half-done one. And I think we should be screaming the roof off because of that. Because Jesus has done that for us. The old nature is gone. We are new in him. And that is just amazing. So you ought to be singing and dancing and shouting round the room. So if we accept that and we know that and take hold of that, then we get to, then why do we need Jesus as an advocate? What is that trying to say there in that passage in 1 John? When a person receives Christ, he's saved eternally, forever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So our union with Jesus, our time with him, is secure because we have that new nature. And that cannot change. And just a little aside for some of you who might have family or friends who've made commitments in the past and have gone away, I believe absolutely that that doesn't change. They have that new creation. They have that new nature. And even though they might have gone away and they are sin and they've gone away, that new nature still is in them. So hold that. It is really important to hold on to that. So, in the few verses before the ones I just read in 1 John, it tells us in verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That truth is what's living inside of us. Jesus is living in us, we know it, we recognize it, and that's when we know we're not always walking in the light. Because the old style of doing things, that sin bit, doesn't fit anymore with what's inside us, with that new nature. And that's the sin bit, and we know it. And that's why it says, but if we walk in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. So, we have this new life. We have this new new nature. We are a new creation. But we still live in this fallen world. We still have the ruler 
of this fallen world, Satan, having a go at us and taking every opportunity to have a go at us. He knows us. He knows our weakest points. He knows which bit to prod at which time. And he's sneaky. He's sneaky. He comes and catches us completely unawares. Sometimes when we think we've got it all together, sometimes we think, oh, that's sin, I've put that to death, I'm not doing it that anymore, and he'll come and wallop us. Because he knows us. And he wants to try and tell us that we don't belong to Jesus, that we haven't got a new nature inside us. He's doing that all the time. And sometimes, well, a lot of the time, when we're completely unaware of it. He knows which of our desires have not yet come under the lordship of Christ. Satan knows that about me, about you. He knows my sin of pride, and he uses it. Boy, does he use it. He knows my sin of not always listening to my husband. And he uses that one too a lot of the time. He knows and he uses it and he gets at us because he doesn't want us living and walking in the light all of the time. So he's always at a go at us. And into that, into that picture of Satan causing us to go wrong, tripping us up, steps our lawyer, our advocate. And amazingly, our advocate is Jesus himself. Imagine yourself in a courtroom and this whole list of things which you're accused of. Yes, the old nature is gone, the new nature is, but you still keep doing things wrong. And that list is still there. Imagine that. You're in that courtroom. And who steps in? But Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, our advocate. Jesus himself. We don't need a lawyer. We don't need an ordinary lawyer in his black gown and his wig. Because we have Jesus. So as our advocate, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Well, he goes to the Father and he says to the Father God, he knows that we've sinned. He knows that we've done wrong again and sometimes again and again with the same things. But he is our advocate because he's saying to God, they are mine. We are his. They have my new nature in them. I died for them. They are clean. And he also tells God that he knows we are repentant. His blood has washed away all our sinners, all our sins. The cleansing was once for all. Jesus isn't going to the cross to die again. 
Even if we do little bits of wrong or big bits of wrong, he's done it. It was a once and for all. And we now have new selves and him living in us. It's as though, in a way, on the cross, Jesus took us as the sinner, that old nature, and threw us in the rubbish bin. He threw us in the rubbish bin because it wasn't fit for purpose anymore. And he's put that new self in us. And then he stands before God on our behalf and pleads our cause. We belong to him. Isn't that just amazing? We have got that. We've got that. And we should be singing it from the rooftops for everybody else that we meet. And, you know, Jesus can do that because in verse 2 of chapter 2 of 1 John, it tells us that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He took all of our sins. And, you know, I'm not sure I could even think about all of my sins. They are numerous. Numerous and numerous and numerous and numerous and numerous. And there are numerous people here. There are numerous living people living in our world now. There are numerous people who've lived in the world in history. There are numerous people coming in the future. And on the cross, Jesus took all that. All of it. He is the atoning sacrifice. His death atoned for our wrongdoings. So we now can stand before the Father as our advocate, our lawyer, our Jesus says, there is no punishment due. There is no punishment due. Is that amazing? Isn't that amazing? If you think of people who go to court today, when you read the newspapers and you think of all the horrendous things, if they knew Jesus, then Jesus would be saying, there is no punishment due because he took his sins on himself and we now have that new nature. It's as though Jesus is presenting us to the Father as his finished work and saying, I've done this. Their sins have gone. It was once and for all and we are free and we are free and we should be living our lives as free people. Because the old self has died, the new has come. So Jesus has been playing his part for us as our advocate. But what about us? And here comes the rub, doesn't it? Here comes the rub. And actually, in 1 John, it talks about that. It goes on to talk about our part in this. And for me, I've written down five things. The first one says in verse 7, walk in the light. And this walking in the light, being conscious about how we act, what we say, what we do, making sure we follow his commands. And what does that give us, that walking in the light? It gives us fellowship with each other. And it gives us purification because of the blood of Jesus. That's what it does. So firstly, our part is walk in the light. The second is, in verse 9, confess our sin. 
repent. It's a bit old-fashioned, that, isn't it? But actually, it's scriptural. It's biblical. It's what the Bible tells us to do. And sometimes that sin is known. Quite often, it's unknown. We don't know or remember that we've done it. But he's still asking us to say sorry, to confess it, to bring it into the light so that he can deal with it. Because if we hold on to some things again and again and again, actually, not only does it not make us walk into the light, but it affects us physically and spiritually. The third thing, which is in chapter 2, verse 3, is keep his commands. Walk in the light, confess our sins, keep his commands. And to do that, we have to know what they are. So we have to read his word and find out what were, what did Jesus ask us? What did he ask us to do? How did he ask us to live? And that's a lifelong thing. And the fourth thing in verse 5 is obey his word. Obey what he tells us to do. That's his word in the Bible, but sometimes it's a word that he might give us through prayer. And the fifth thing in verse 6 of chapter 2 is live as Jesus did. Do we live as Jesus did? Do we act as he does? Do we keep his commands? We have to walk in the light, but we also need to repent. We have to say sorry. Because if we don't, we keep denying the truth that's living in us. But as we say sorry, as we repent, then Jesus, our advocate, can take that repentance to God and he can plead on our behalf to him. So I want to end by inviting us this morning to do three things. Remembering that all of this is a journey. It's about maturing in Christ. And we're not going to get it all right this morning. We're not going to get it all right this year. We're probably not going to get it right in our lifetime. But we are exhorted to mature in Christ, to grow up, to take these things seriously. We need to change our mindset and align it with his and ask him to come into all areas of our life. So the three things I'd like us to think about this morning. The first one, let's just rejoice and be clear that we are a new creation. We're dead to sin. That sinner's gone. The being of sinner has gone. No more to return. And that's a time for rejoicing, for thanking God and saying, amazing. So that's where we you know, need to start as individuals in a church. Amazing. The second thing is, let's do a bit more about walking in the light. Actually talk to God. Ask him, what needs in my life to come into the light? What am I hiding or what do I know that don't even know that's there that you need to bring into the light, Jesus, to change my mindset, to help me walk in the light? I need Jesus to sort it. I can't sort it. 
Nobody else can sort it. Only Jesus can sort it. And the third thing, we need to say sorry. We need to repent. A repentance is a turning our back on. It's not just saying, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't do that. I didn't mean to. It's saying, I realize that that isn't walking in the light, that action, those words, that way of being. I'm saying sorry to God now, asking for his forgiveness, and I'm turning around and I'm walking in that direction. I don't want to do that again. And that is repentance. Because otherwise we allow Satan to keep on pressing our button and leading us away from the new nature that is in us. We know a lot of the time when we do things wrong. We know when the sin doesn't fit our new life anymore. And we need to say sorry. Would you like to close your eyes? I'm just going to have a time of quiet. You might want to put your hands out. It's up to you. But we're just going to ask God to come. Just come, Lord Jesus. Just come, Lord Jesus. Just come and touch each person here. Just come. We need you, Lord. We need you in our lives. We want to go deeper with you. We want to mature in you. We thank you that we're a new creation. We trust you. We believe in you. That old sinner is gone. And we praise you. We praise you. That we are a new creation in you. I want you just to ask yourselves in your own mind and head and heart, just you and Jesus now, just you and Jesus. Just ask him to bring to light into your head or your heart things that you know you need to ask forgiveness for. Things that perhaps you know you keep on doing. You don't seem to be able to change. Just ask him forgiveness and ask him to come and change you, to transform you. There may be things in your life that need to come into the light and you know that. Some of you here may have been hiding things away that nobody even knows about, but God already knows. And he just wants you to speak to him about it so that he can change it and that he can move you on. And some, for some of you, that might be big things. 
might be hidden things that you do that you know are not right, that are not in line with your new nature. For others of you, it just may be, in the world's eyes, small things. But in God's eyes, it doesn't matter. He just wants you to come to him. Just come to him. Just come to him. Father, speak, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds. Just come. Just come. If you feel that God is speaking to you, this is a safe place to come and ask for prayer. Because we all know that we all sin and we are still doing things. I know that for me. And if you just want to come and ask for prayer, maybe come forward and just say, God, I want to walk in the light a bit more. I want you to deal with this. Then do come so that others can pray for you. And I know that's really difficult, but we all are in the same position. Nobody here is any different. We all sin in different ways. Your sin is no bigger. Your wrongdoing is no bigger than anybody else's. If that's too much for you, then please do come to the side at the end and... The pastoral team will be, the prayer ministry team will be here to uh, pray with you. But the most important thing is for you to speak to Jesus yourself. So I'm going to invite Mike back to come and just play. And if you feel you want to step forward, then do. I'll move my pieces of paper off the floor. Um, And I'm going to move this out of the way. So do come. If you want prayer, then just come to the front. Or if you can't do that and you feel, no, I need it to be, then that's absolutely fine too. Then just come to the side at the end.